Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. And uh, just so thrilled to be able to be gathered together on a rainy Sunday morning. Uh, anybody, are, are you thankful for the rain? A- anybody? Okay. A couple people. Anybody, do you wish it was not raining? It's like it's too cold and rainy. It's a couple people. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here today. Hey, if you got a Bible, go with me to two different passages. Uh, should be no surprise where we're turning, but the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. Nehemiah chapter 9 and Ezra chapter 10 are the two scriptures that you can go to this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to just give you one more uh, announcement. Really, it's an encouragement, not an announcement. Uh, but we do have a fresh batch of life journals uh, that we just ordered for the new year. And uh, we've been talking about, especially last week, just about being Bible people. And as a, as a church, but as individuals getting back, just being people that we were committed to studying the scripture. We, we are committed to giving ourselves to the word of God. And uh, so if you don't have a life journal or if you've never used a life journal, it's simply one of the resources we have to spend time daily reading the scripture and writing the things that God is speaking to us. And uh, would encourage you that may, maybe you start fresh this year. Maybe you've never read the Bible before. You've never studied the scripture. Maybe you have, but you just fell off the wagon. Uh, what, whatever it may be, I'd encourage you that you would join us as we just freshly commit ourselves this year to being people of the scripture. Uh, you can get those journals in the Welcome Center at the Next Step desk, and they make great stocking stuffers and also great tools and resources to study God's Word. Um, if you got a Bible today, Nehemiah chapter 9 and Ezra chapter 10, we're in this series that oh, I don't really think we intended for it to be uh, what it's turned into. Uh, what it's turned into is really a word from the Lord that we feel like real time he's speaking to us. Uh, we started this series all the way back at the beginning of November. This will be week number six. And I don't think we knew the significance of it as we started, but we just believe that as we've been in the series, that it really has become this real time word that God is speaking to us as individuals, but also to us as a church. And we've been in this series called A Great Work. And we've been talking about in this series, really the local church and how the local church is not just a good thing, but it is a great thing. It's a great work that it's not just, you know, something that's, it's a noble, it's, it's good to be a part of, you know, everyone should do it. No, it's something that has eternal significance and eternal purpose because it is God ordained. The local church, it is the hands and the feet of Jesus on the earth today. The local church has been God established because it is the vehicle in which God today is accomplishing and carrying out his eternal purposes on the earth. The church, yes, it's a corporate place to worship and and to gather. Yes, it's somewhere where we come and we will sit and we'll worship and we'll study and we worship God corporately, but it's more than that. The church is supposed to be a house and a home that's established so God can send people and they can find safety and security and refuge. The church is supposed to be a a vehicle that goes out that we, yes, we gather in here, but then we go out there and we're arm in arm, shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, being used by God to reach those who are far from God. The church is what Jesus is building. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we've been talking through the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, a little bit of Haggai, just talking about how as they were rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls that God really has called us 
to leverage our life and to use what he's giving us to be a part of building his house. Remember, we're not building programs for people to serve. We're building programs and ministry and trying to establish things to serve people. This is, this is not about us building some little kingdom. This is about us trying to build a home and a place so people can be reached and people can be served and God can be glorified. It's a great work. And last week, we kind of took a little bit of a turn because we've been talking about uh, practically using what God's, what God's given us. But last week, we began to talk about in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra how there really was a spiritual reform that was happening. That God, yes, he was calling his people to rebuild the temple and the walls, but really more than that, he was trying to reestablish his people as a spiritual people. And we talked about last week being, being a people that we just were committed to the Bible. The first thing we see in these chapters, in these books, is that as things were established, they came back to being Bible people. We titled the sermon last week, Bring the Bible Back, because that's essentially what they did. They said, hey, go get the law. We, we, we haven't been reading, listen, go, go get the law and let's read and study and give ourselves once again to the scripture. And, and this week I want to talk about what the result of that should be. Because again, remember, we're not reading the scripture. We're not endeavoring to be Bible people so we can be smarter people. There, 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 there's an element of that, right? The, the more you gain wisdom, you will become a person of wisdom, but we're not reading the scripture just to get smarter. We're not trying to get fatter on information. We're not even trying to just, you know, just be good, good Christians. We're reading and giving ourselves to the scripture for transformation. That what, what you see in these books is that as, and we're going to read it here in a moment, that as they begin to read the law and give themselves back to the law, that there was a transformation that happened. That God began to convict them of sin. That God began to open their eyes to areas where we, we didn't even know that this was out of bounds. We didn't even know this wasn't right. And God began to do this deep work in them that caused them to come back to a life of consecration. I'm going to talk today about living a consecrated life. What, is it, what does it mean to be consecrated? It simply means to, to be devoted, to, to, to be singular in your mind. Consecrated means to be set apart, devoted to God and to God alone. I want to read to you today a couple of verses from Nehemiah chapter 9. We'll read uh, verses 1 through 3, I believe it is, and then we'll go to Ezra chapter 10. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. If you don't have that version, that's not a big deal. But if you want to track along with the exact reading, uh, it is on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. From the New King James Version, it says this. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled, notice, with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners and they stood and confessed their sin and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day and for one fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So the walls have been built. They've brought the law back. They brought the Bible. Hey, bring the Bible back. And we read right here in Nehemiah, they all came together in sackcloth and, and, and with dust on their head, bowed down, fasting and, and of humble heart, reading the law, yes, but separating themselves from, from that which was unrighteousness, separating themselves from idolatry, from, from, from foreign nations and foreign ways of worship. 
They, they came together and they were confessing sin. And I love it. It says for one fourth of the day, they were reading the scripture, but, but with equal measure, they were responding to the scripture. See, we're not just trying to read the scripture. We're trying to respond to the scripture. Well, one of the reasons that I so believe in, and this is not a plug, it's just why I so believe in it, uh, the power of journaling and using that life journal is because it has been for me a way to prayerfully respond. It's, it's been for, for, for me, not, not a way of just you know, spiritual duty, but to prayerfully think and, and respond and say, all right, God, this is what you're saying. What does this mean for me? God, this is what you're saying, but what are you saying to me? How do I apply this today and, and how do I respond to it? Now, if you go to Ezra chapter 10, we'll read the first, uh, the first three verses again, verses one through three. And here's what it says. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women and children gathered to him from Israel for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechemiah, the son of Jehel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, we have trespassed against our God. We've taken pagan wives for the peoples of the land, from the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in spite of this. I love that. He, he, he says, Ezra, we've, we're in sin. We, we have taken these, these pagan wives and adopted these pagan ways of worship and living. He says, yet now in spite of that, there's hope. God is calling us back to himself and God is giving us again an opportunity to respond to him. Yet in spite of this, there is hope. Verse three, now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born of them according to the advice of my master and those who tremble at the commandments of our God and let it be done according to the law. Let it be done according to what the Bible says. Now, Go to verse 11, because Ezra is going to respond and Ezra is going to give them a pathway that they are to follow. And here's what he says in verse 11. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourself from the peoples of the land and from pagan Wives. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write down the title of the sermon this morning simply is this, a consecrated life. A consecrated life. What should the result of a devotion to the scripture be? It should be a consecrated life. A consecrated life. Um, what, what is sin while, while we're on the topic? I think the simplest way, at least in my understanding, to define sin is to simply say that sin is missing the mark. I don't know if you grew up playing sports. Uh, I grew up kind of playing sports, but if you play basketball, here's what you know, that a basketball goal, well, it is how high somebody. A basketball goal is 10 feet high. Okay, so a basketball is 10 feet high and it is an 18 inch diameter. And, and on a basketball goal, if you're playing in a game, you shoot the ball and if you, you miss it completely, that'd be, that'd be an air ball. It's also known as embarrassing, okay? Um, just embarrassing. And, and if you shoot and you miss, that's an air ball. You, you miss the mark. But if you shoot and you just hit the front of the rim, it's still missing the mark. You can shoot the ball and hit the side of the rim, the back of the rim. You, you could even toilet bowl that thing all the way around and, and it's still a miss. 
Sin, simply defined, it is missing the mark. God has a standard. God has told us, he has given us, here is the mark. Here is what holiness is. Here is what righteousness is. Here is what it means and what it looks like to live in my ways. And anything below that, it is sin. It's missing the mark. Now, quickly, let me say what we're not talking about is perfectionism. Because here's what we know. 1 John 1.8 says that if anybody in here says you're without sin, you're a liar. You, you, you are, you're, you're self-deceived. It's like speaking of basketball. I used to think I was good at basketball. I honestly did. I would, well, after high school, about 18, 19, uh, it's so early, but this is how much I just love playing basketball. At 5 a.m., Monday through Friday, the Baxter YMCA, there'd be about 20 guys, all in their 30s and 40s, and some a little bit older, but 20 guys. And, and everybody would go, and we'd just play for like two hours from five to seven. And I thought I was good at basketball. I thought I could actually, until some kids, and I do mean kids, they were like 15, 16 years old, who played it at a private school in the area, showed up one morning, and I quickly, oh, I'm, I was deceived. I'm not very good at basketball. This is a whole different level right here. It's a whole different category. The Bible goes, anyone who says that they don't have sin, they're just deceived. Anyone that goes, no, no, I've actually, no, you're, you're deceived. Because there's not one of us who has, has reached a level of perfection. It's not one of us, all of us. We are in this process of continual growth and continual maturity. So what we're not talking about this morning is, is some idea of perfectionism. I got to get it right all the time. And if I don't know, that would be legalism. But here's what I do think that we need to talk about and address is that we're living in a culture today where we have so blurred the lines that it's hard to even know for a lot of people what sin even is. Now, this is, this is my, my uh, perspective. I'm not saying it's fact, but it seems to me that with every generation, there, there's like this decline. It's like with, with every generation, we, we've taken the standard of what God says and we've, we've just lowered it one bar. And, and at one time we were shooting on a 10 foot goal, but, but over the years now we're shooting on about a four foot goal. And one of the things that I've noticed, again, this is not fact, it's just my observation. It seems to me that whatever it is in our culture today, that rather than the generations who have come before us holding the line, that even generations who've come before us have adopted the, the new line, that the lines are so blurred that for many people, it's hard to even know what sin is. It's hard to even know what the mark is because we're living in a culture, dare I say, a Christian culture. We're not really calling sin, sin anymore. We're not really calling, well, yeah, yeah but Brandon, but what about grace? I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Because remember the apostle Paul, he said in Romans chapter one, I've been given grace for the purpose of obedience to the faith. That grace was not given to us so that we could excuse ourselves from, from the mark. Rather, grace was given to us to empower us to live holy and to live righteous, to empower us to live in God's ways. And we're living in a day, we're living in a culture where we have so blurred the lines that from the way we prioritize our life, the content we consume, 
the words that are coming out of our mouth, our views on sexual um, uh, morality and, and things of the, we, we've so blurred the lines that there are many who go, I don't even know what, what is sin. What is the mark? The lines have been so blurred. And what we see in these passages we read is that the children of Israel in different time periods, Ezra and Nehemiah are in about a hundred, hundred year time period, that in different time periods, but, the, but, but the same way that they had, they'd blurred the lines. They, they had missed or forgotten the mark that God had sent. And as they begin to read the law, as they begin to once again allow the word of God to come into their midst, the Holy Spirit began to reveal to them. God began to speak to them. And all of a sudden they became reminded of what the line was. Have you ever been wrong about something before and you didn't even know you were wrong? Did this ever happen to you? I, I, if you've heard me tell the story, I... I apologize for repeating it. But I remember when I was about 18 years old, I was so wrong. And here, here's what I was wrong about. I had a, a definition for the word organic that was so off. I don't know where I got it. I don't know where it came from. But I swore that organic meant it had never been touched by human hands. I, I don't know where I got it. I have no idea. And, and it's like, Somewhere I was like, what does that word mean? And I just had a thought, maybe it means this. And I cared not enough to really think. I went, all right, cool. Yeah, let's just we'll put that right here. Space filled, move on. And, and I remember being in Harris Teeter in the produce section, watching a man stock organic avocados. And I, I still remember watching him going, this doesn't make sense to me. This man is ruining the produce. He should be wearing gloves. His hands are touching the, and, and it occurred to me, you, you may be wrong. And I went over and said, excuse me, sir. Um, would you explain to me the definition of organic? And I thought, oh, what an idiot I've been. That, that makes so much more sense. But, but, but there are times that we're just wrong. We're wrong. And what we need is we need the word of God and we need the spirit of God open our eyes, to open our understanding to go, oh, okay, I, I thought that that meant this, but oh, thank you, God, that it means. And again, this is what we see in these passages. Here, here, here is the children of Israel coming back to the word of God, coming back to what the law of God said. And through that process, God was speaking. And can I just say, we need the same thing to happen. We need the same thing to happen. We, we need our lives to be submitted unto Jesus in a way that says, God, I'm coming back to your word. I'm staying open to your spirit. And I need you to help me to redefine the line because it's possible that my line is not your line. It's possible that the lines have been so blurred that as they've been blurred, I'm no longer defining sin and holiness and right the way that you define it. And God, I want to define things the way that you define it. Here's what I'm going to talk about today. What, what, what do we do? What do we do when, when, when God starts doing that? What do we do when God starts dealing with our heart? What do we do when we realize we've been wrong? What do we do when the Holy Spirit begins to convicting us? And I want to go back to Ezra chapter 3. I'm sorry, Ezra chapter 10, verse 11. I want to read this one more time because Ezra gives us in this verse 
a prescribed pathway that I want to use to help us to know what we are to do in these days. Ezra chapter uh, 10 verse 11. Here's what Ezra says in response to the people who are coming to him. He says, now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourself from the people of the land and from the pagan wives. Let me read it one more time. Ezra gives us three things today. He says this. He says, first and foremost, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will and separate yourself from the peoples of the land and from the pagan. What, 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 what do we do? I want to use this, this scripture. I want to give you three thoughts today. Number one, you can write this down. The first thing that we are to do is God begins to convince us of his ways. Convict our hearts is this. We were to confess our sin. Number one, you can write this down. Confess our sin. What you see in both of these passages is it, is it wasn't just this internal thing that was happening. But in Nehemiah and Ezra, the people are coming before the Lord. And what are they doing? They're confessing their sin. Here's what the Bible says in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says this, that if we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Righteousness. That word confess, it's a Greek word, and here's what it means. It simply means to come into agreement. Not refuse, not, not backpedal, but come into agreement and in agreement profess with our mouth, I agree. I'll give you an example. Last Sunday, uh, we got home from church and I had to have a conversation with one of my children about their attitude. Hey, this attitude we're having, is, is, is not the way we should be acting. Hey, the way that you've been treating your, 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 your uh, siblings is not what we should be doing. And, and their response was, I'm not having an attitude. I'm, I'm not being mean. I, I'm not, th that's, that's not confession. See, confession is not just saying something with your mouth, but it's coming into agreement with what God says in your heart. God, God you, you say this is sin. And I'm agreeing with you, this is sin. This is not right. It's, it's instead of backpedaling in your mind and going, well, I mean, well, I mean, I don't, I don't really know why I would be convicted about this because, you know, I mean, like everyone's doing that. I mean, I was just scrolling yesterday on Instagram and I saw like 14 people I know doing the same thing. It's, no, it's, it's agreeing. God, you're, you're right. This is sin. God, thank you so much even for speaking to me and correcting me and helping me, God, I, I agree. And I don't only agree, I'm acknowledging before you, God, this is sin. And I confess it. I, de I declare it as such, this is sin before you. And I'm asking you, God, would you, would you forgive me? Here's what First John says, 1, 9, that anyone that would confess their sin, anyone that would confess their sin, First John 1, 9, that when we do, we, we got to know that God, he is faithful, meaning he'll do it every time. And he's just, meaning he's justified in doing so because of the finished work of his son. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Can I tell you, there is such a, a freedom that is experienced when we confess sin. There's such a freedom 
And there's such a, a lightness that comes when we allow all that to come off of our life and we come before him and say, God, you've been dealing with me. God, you've been speaking to me. God, I'm coming into agreement saying, I'm calling what you call sin, sin. God, this is not right. I bring it to you. Would you forgive me? And we experience the washing of forgiveness. We experience the washing of cleansing. But how many of you know, like I've often done, it's easy to know something's wrong, to know you're out of alignment, and to just sit on it. You ever done that before? You ever been in, in a conversation or in a relationship even, and you know you're in the wrong, and you know you need to apologize, but you don't want to apologize? And so you're just going to kind of sit on it, and you're going to, we, we, we do this with the Lord. God is speaking to us, God is dealing with us, and we just keep it all in here. Here's what the scripture says. Uh, if, if you look uh, at um, Proverbs 28, 13, listen to this verse. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, he who covers his sins will not prosper. The person that cover, they will not prosper. But whoever will confess and forsake them will find mercy. I love this Psalm 32, verse four through five. It says, David, right? David says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And verse five, it should, should be in there. Verse five, yeah. And I, but I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David writes and he says, oh, it, it was heavy. I, it was a heaviness that I felt knowing that something was in me, something was on me and God was dealing with me, but I, but I wasn't confessing it. See, the scripture says our first step is when God begins to deal with us, that we come into agreement with God and we confess our sin to the Lord. But can I tell you, confession doesn't stop there. That not only do we need to confess our sins to the Lord, but hear me this morning, we need to confess our sins to, to one another. Here, here's what the book of James says, listen to this. James chapter one, uh, verse 16, I believe it is. James chapter one, verse 16. Uh, nope, that is not the right verse. I sincerely apologize. Uh, the, the Bible says this in James chapter, yes, one, verse 16. I, how am I so wrong? How am I so wrong? We, 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 James chapter five, verse 16. James chapter five, verse 16. Let me find it in my, my Bible and I can read it to you. Uh, you know what? I'll just paraphrase. It's right here in my notes. Here's what James 5.16, not 1.16 says. Confess your trespass to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5.16 says, confess your trespass to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I'm not saying that you should just go tell everybody everything. Let's not do that, okay? Let's not be that weird church. Let's, let's, don't. Man, I went to this church the other day. I walked in and the person greeting me told me the weirdest thing. I don't know if I'm gonna, let's not be. But, but there are certain people that God brings into your life. There are certain people that God will bring into your sphere. They're in your connect group. They're pastors, leaders. They're trusted friends. And, and the scripture says there, there's a healing that happens when you don't just confess your sin to God but you confess your sin one to, one to another. Last Sunday, uh, I was uh, thinking about this sermon and there's just something God had been dealing with me. God was just dealing with me heart, uh, with me heart, with my heart. And as God was dealing with me, I knew here's an area that God keeps speaking to me and I keep ignoring him. God keeps nudging me 
And I keep kind of put, pushing that away. And so I, last Sunday, we're just during worship, I'm getting ready to preach, but during worship, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping. I just, oh Lord, Lord, that's sin. Why do I keep on pushing you away? God, I'm confessing that sin. And I just received his grace. I received his forgiveness. I just felt clean on the inside. And I went home and God wouldn't leave me alone. Don't you hate that? And already knowing what we were going to be preaching this week, I felt like the Holy Spirit say, you, you need to confess that to some friends too. Absolutely not, Lord. That would be absolute. Just re- like, no, that's, and, and here, here was my hesitation. Because the Lord didn't just say, you know, confess to friends. He said, here's two people I want you to call. Just had just, just, just two, two names. Call these two people. I'm like, oh, Lord. But one of them, like they go to our church. And like they sit and they listen to me preach. And I'm a leader. And I, 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 we're friends, but I'm also, that would be so weird to admit and to be, how would they look at me? What would they think about me? The, the other one was a friend of mine who's a pastor in Fort Scott, Kansas, Pastor Matthew Hunt. And uh, I had the opportunity, the privilege of being an overseeing elder at his church. And I thought, Lord, I can't do that. I'm one of the overseeing elders. Like I'm, I'm supposed to be helping him. I can't call. And, and I thought just the enemy is a liar. The enemy is a liar because none of that's true, but it's the narrative he's speaking to me to try to keep something on the inside. I said, no, 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 no. I, Monday afternoon, I called these, these, these two, two friends. And I said, hey, this might seem like it's not a big deal. This might seem so small and so insignificant. I feel weird even telling you because it's really not it. But, but here's the reality. God's been nudging me and I've been ignoring him. That's sin. God's been speaking to me and I've been saying that's sin. Would, would you please pray for me? And would you be a source of encouragement and accountability? And you know what happened? I didn't only feel free. I felt whole on the inside. See, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin to God, you receive forgiveness and cleansing. But James 5, 16 says, if you confess your sin to one another, you receive healing. Is it possible we have a whole lot of Christians walking around that have been forgiven and clean, but they're still broken? Is it possible to walk around forgiven and cleansed, but hurting? Forgiven and cleansed, but still not whole because we've yet to go, I, I need to talk to you. This feels vulnerable, it feels embarrassing, but I need help. This, this, this is what God's been dealing with me. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Would you help me to be, a, we gotta confess our sins. And what we see in Ezra and Nehemiah is the people of God were confessing their sin to God and to one another. Number two, you can write this down. The second thing we see is that we have to repent. Repent, repent. From sin. You know, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Repentance is one of the key teachings and themes, key ideas that we got to get in our heart. Matter of fact, uh, Matthew chapter four, verse 17 says this, talking of Jesus, it says, from the time that Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hand. Peter picked up on this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And it says, And Peter said to them, men and women who were hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice Peter, 
as these people are hearing the gospel and go, how do we respond? Peter doesn't say, you know, just, just receive it, man. Just live and let live. God loves you. You're accepted. That, that's the good news. You're forgiven no matter what. That's not what he says. He goes, oh, you want to know how to respond to the good news? Oh, you're asking me, how, how do I respond to the gospel? How do I respond to the reality that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that Jesus would live the life we could not lie, die the death we deserve and be resurrected on the third day? How do I respond to that? He says, repent. That's how you respond. The appropriate response to the gospel, it is not just, oh man, I'm so glad that I'm, it's repentance. What, what is repentance? Repentance simply means this, it's a change of mind. That's what repentance is. Repentance isn't an emotion. It's, it's, it's not tears. It's not running to the altar. And it, repentance is a change of mind. Here, here, here's what the Bible says, uh, or rather not the Bible, but the definition of this word. It simply means to change one's mind. It is a change of mind, which leads to a change of purpose and action. Did you know that confession of sin without repentance will not do you very good? I remember when I was in elementary school, I'm a pastor's kid, right? lying in my bed almost every night. And my nighttime routine would be to lay there and go, Jesus, please forgive me of all of my sins. If I did anything today, forgive me because I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And if you came back tonight, I want to make sure that I'm, it, it was like this thing in me. I remember that there were even times that I'd forget and I wake up in the middle of the night, like in a panic. Oh, oh. So Jesus, please forgive me of my I understood confession, not repentance, apparently. Be because repentance is a change of mind that leads to, to a change in action. Okay, I was thinking this way. I was talking this way. I was living this way. I was behaving this way. But God, he, he stopped me. He spoke to me. He convinced, he convinced me. He showed me through his word. He convicted me of sin. And so I'm confessing. God, I'm, I'm just bringing, I'm just bringing my, my words into agreement. You say it's sin, it's sin. Forgive me, cleanse me. I'm confessing, but I'm also repenting, meaning I'm gonna turn 180 degrees. God, I used to think this way, but I think this way now. God, I used to talk like this, but I'm talking this way now. God, my whole mentality and perspective, it was going this direction, but God, now I'm, I'm repenting. See, what Ezra says in Ezra chapter 10 verse 11, he says, now therefore make confession of sin to the Lord your God. But then he says this, and turn to him and do his will. Ezra 10 verse 11, he goes, hey, here's the first thing. Confess your sins. Make confession to the Lord your God, but, but don't stop there. Do his will. So don't just get, get prayer and getting... Stop, repent, and do the will of God. I'm, I'm telling you, there, there needs to be a 180 degree just turn in our heart. And by the way, it's not an overnight thing. Can I just say that? Like just, just to get rid of condemnation in the room, the feeling of guilt. It's not this overnight thing. But, but transformation is a process, isn't it? That's why, why Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but allow the word of God and the spirit of God to transform you as it renews your thinking, as it renews your mind. And so we got to confess our sin. We have to repent and make a turn. But number three, write this down and we'll close with this. We have to separate ourselves from sin. Separate ourselves from sin. 
Have you ever watched one of those uh, like extreme fitness shows, extreme weight loss shows, extreme, you know, whatever they're called? What's one of the first things they do? They, you know, get the camera in the person's house and they start going through their pantry, don't they? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever watched one of these shows, but I've watched it before and thought, well, don't throw it away. I'll take it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not on the show. You're wasting good Twinkies, man. That, that was good stuff. It doesn't expire for another 35 years. That, that was a good, but they, they go in the pantry and they just say, oh yeah, no, no, no. This will not do black trash. And they're just, they're trashing everything. Why? Be, because in a very real way, what they know is, yeah, no, you can be a hundred percent in to commit to, you know, I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to exercise. But, but if you keep living in an environment full of the very thing that is sabotaging you, you're not going to find freedom. And, and what we see Ezra, Ezra 10, 11, here's what it says. Now, therefore make confession to the Lord, our God, God of your fathers and do his will and separate yourselves from the people of the land. Hey, these things that have been causing you to, to trip up, these things that have been leading you into idolatry, these things that have been leading you into, separate yourself from them. Let's go to New Testament for a second. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Paul goes, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Run the other direction. Get your shoes on, lace them up, and flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. Paul, uh, still speaking to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, he says the same thing. He says, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. Flee that stuff. Run the other direction, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let me just simplify that. There's some numbers you need to delete from your phone. There's some places you need to stop going. There's some subscriptions you need to cancel today. There, 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 there are some apps you got to delete. There's some decisions you have to make because in all honesty, you got to be real to go, okay, God, I'm, I'm confessing this as sin and I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to repent and to do your will. But God, I can't keep living in this environment. I can't keep sending that text. I can't keep going to that app. I can't keep logging into this subscription. I can't keep, ex you fill in the blank. I can't keep doing this and expect to live in total and complete freedom. Now, Romans 6 would say this, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Again, let me just simplify and I don't mean to just be, you know, bagging on technology, but, but we'll just, in, in a very simple example, God's going, okay, if you're this iPad, um, don't present this as an instrument or a tool the enemy can use for sin. Don't, don't, don't take the safe search off. 
Don't download that app. Don't X, Y, and Z. Don't, don't present this and make this a tool or an instrument that is very easy and accessible for sin, but rather present this as something and set this up in a way that is useful to God for righteousness. Paul said, you got to reckon yourself dead to sin. Oh yeah, no, I, I used to be like that for sure. Oh, totally. I used to, no, no, no I, I used to think like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm dead to that stuff now. I'm reckoning myself dead to sin, but alive to righteousness. And part of the way I'm doing that is I'm, I'm presenting my body, my life, everything I have, everything I, I'm presenting it to God as a tool to be used for righteousness. I'm separating from the things I used to be connected to and I'm not giving myself to be a vessel or a tool for sin. It's for righteousness now. See, there has to be separation. There has to be separation as God begins to speak to us and deal with our hearts. As the Holy Spirit helps us to begin to see things that we were wrong about. Oh, that's not what organic meant after all. That that we don't just respond by sitting on it. We respond by saying, all right, God, I'm coming into agreement with you and I'm gonna confess this, this is sin. God, forgive me, cleanse me. God, help me to find the right people that I can talk to. Help me to find the right people that I can say, will you pray for me? Will you encourage me? Will you, will you hold me accountable? God, I'm gonna repent. I'm just making a turn. I'm making a change. I'm not going, I'm going this direction, God. And God, I'm, I'm in the process allowing you to lead me and guide me to separate my life. Cut all the ties, all the, all the connectors, all the, just cutting everything that would tie me to sin because I'm separating myself and I'm gonna pursue righteousness. Last thing I'll say, um, 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. Uh, the apostle Paul, he says this, he says, you know, in a great house, there's vessels for honor and vessels for, for dishonor. There are vessels that are like fine china and there's plastic sippy cups. Here's what he says. He says, separate yourself, Timothy, young man of God, separate yourself so that you may become a vessel that is useful, is ready, and is prepared for the master's work. You know, we, 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 we say this all the time. We, we, we believe God has a great plan for our church. We, we believe God wants to do great things through our lives. We believe God wants to use us in a great way. But can I tell you, God cannot use us in any way without a consecrated life. Paul says, oh no, don't, don't get twisted. In every house, there's sippy cups and there's fine china. And, and God's not using sippy cups, he's using fine china. And Timothy, if you, O oh man of God, will separate yourself, will cleanse yourself, you will become to God a vessel that is ready, that is prepared, that is equipped for every good work. I believe part of what God's doing in us, church, is God's trying to prepare us for what he has in front of us. That God's trying to prepare you individually even for what he has in front of you. That God has a greater purpose for your life. There's greater potential that's on you. God has a significant purpose and plan of eternal significance and he's trying to prepare you for what's ahead. 
And he's saying, come on. Let, let, let's, let's, let's give ourselves to the things of God. Let's bring the Bible back and let's allow the word of God to lead us to a consecrated life. A life that on the regular basis, we're going, all right, God, whatever you say is sin is sin. I'm confessing that is sin. I'm repenting. I'm separating. God, I'm allowing you to make me into a vessel of honor. Part of what God is doing in us is God is trying to stir us and lead us back to being people that are devoted to the word of God and are being changed and transformed, prepared and ready for his use. So this morning, wherever you are, would we like they did in Nehemiah, would we bring a humble heart before God? God, I don't want to assume that there's nothing in me. I don't want to assume God that I got, there's, some, there's something in all of us. God, would you continue the process of transformation. God, would you continue the work of holiness and righteousness in our heart? God, God, today, would you, would you renew and restore my hunger for the things of God? Would you renew and restore my hunger for the word of God? And God, would you convince me, convict me, lead and guide me into all truth and help me to see the areas where I've just been wrong. All oh, the lines have been blurred. And here's God's mark and I don't know how I got here, but I lowered it here. God, show me where I've been wrong. Show me, God, where I've just been missing it. And would my response be one of confession, repentance, and separation? Lord, today, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray for myself included in that, for anybody who's watching online or will watch this stream. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would continue or even begin maybe afresh a deep work in all of us. God, would you give us eyes and ears and a heart that are just sensitive to you, that are sensitive to your voice, that are sensitive to your leading, to your conviction, to your correction, God. Oh, and I pray that as we begin to hear your voice, that we would not sit on it, we would not push it aside or push it down, but we would respond to your voice. And we'd respond to your word, Lord Jesus, through confessing sin to you through coming into agreement with you and saying, God, what you call a sin, I'm calling sin. I'm bringing it before you and I'm asking you for forgiveness. I'm asking you for cleansing. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be vulnerable in the days to come, to, 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 to talk to one another, to confess one to another and pray for one another that there may be healing in our midst. Lord, we're praying that you would give us a heart and a spirit of repentance, one that would change our mind and change our direction and lead us, Lord Jesus, into every area and everything that there must be separation for us to experience the consecration you want. Oh God, help us to, leave a, to lead a consecrated life, a consecrated life that is purely and solely devoted to you. In Jesus' name. This morning, would you stand with me? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.